Hey there, it's Melissa Brunetti, and welcome to the Mind Your Own Karma podcast. Hey there, Karma crew. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Mind Your Own Karma, The Adoption Chronicles. Today, I have a special guest. Let me tell you a little bit about Carlos. It was in the 1990s when Carlos was brought to the UK at eight months old. As a transracial adoptee, he's experienced a loving home and a happy childhood, despite some big identity challenges. His relationship with adoption has been one of acceptance and growth from a child to an adult. He's on a journey now to share his own story about being proud of who you are and making the best out of what life has dealt you. He's hoping you will take something from his story, even if it's only a small part, and follow his latest project. Here is my interview with Carlos Muniz. Hey, Karma Crew. This is Jen, and I'm the editor and producer of Mind Your Own Karma. I hope you'll sit tight for just a minute while I slip in here and relay a quick message. Melissa's coming up on two years of podcasting. On December 20th, 2023, Mind Your Own Karma will be two years old. Melissa has put this out into the world as a labor of love, and I know she's gained so much from all your stories as she's endeavored to mirror them out into the big world every week. Now, Melissa has a day job, but do you know how much income she's made from the podcast in those two years? $70. That breaks down to less than a dollar per episode. And since Spotify's changed their requirements for ads, Mind Your Own Karma doesn't even qualify for ad revenue anymore. So what I want to suggest is that listeners support this important podcast monthly, and you can do that for as little as 99 cents a month. Now, if only one person did that, Melissa would be earning more than she is right now for all of the work that she's doing to educate the world about the importance of adoption and the impact that it has on people's lives. The link to show your support of Melissa and her amplification of voices in the adoption constellation is in her link tree at linktree.com slash mindyourownkarma. Thank you for your patience. And now back to the episode. We are welcoming Carlos to the show today. Hi, Carlos. Hi there. I just want to start with what do you know about why you were put up for adoption? What story were you told? I was told that I came over as a baby, so quite young, and that my birth mother couldn't keep me. And where were you born? I was born in Lima, um, in Peru. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, Lima or Peru was, was in the middle of a, a war, civil okay. war. Um, so I was told that a lot of factors because of that played a part in that decision. And many of us are told it was a, de- a hard decision. Obviously, it wasn't a decision she would have wanted to make, but she made a decision based on those factors as the best thing for me, which was kind of a nice story to be told in one way, yeah. but sad at the same time. Sure. Um, but I, I could appreciate that and I understood that. And, and I was told little bits as I was growing up that were kind of not too overpowering as a five-year-old, but it was little bits of drip fed as I get older um, that it kind of just felt like a normal story, quite consistent as I was growing up. It wasn't changed or there was no kind of distrust that maybe there was something I missed there. So it, it was consistent and, and I believe that. And so where did you go when you were adopted? You went from Peru to? From when I was born in, in Lima, I was looked after in foster care for four months by a foster mother. I don't know much more than that. Mm-hmm. And then when I was four months old, that's when my mum collected me or I was handed 
handed me. And then from that point, I stayed in Lima for four months. And while the legal stuff happened, my mum stayed there in an apartment with other other mums that were adopting or other families as well from Europe all across the world. Okay. Um, so there was, a, I guess, a cohort of them. Yeah, four months she stayed in, in Lima before she was able to come home with me. And then, wow, yeah. So she had to stay there until the adoption was final? Yeah, the courts had to, I guess, permit me to leave. And so I had a stamp in my passport that sort of said I was permitted to leave. But also when I was in the UK, I then had to claim rights to be in the UK. So she had to battle in, the, in, in Peru and then battle to keep me in, in England. Um, but yeah, it was quite complex. So you went to England when you were adopted after the four months? Yeah, the north of England, yeah. So what was it like in your adoptive family growing up? Good experience, bad experience? What was it like? I always look back and see all the good things. Um, I'm a bit half, um, what is it, cup half full kind of kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, it, it was like any childhood. I rode my bike. I had fun. I had friends. Um, had a quite carefree childhood. Um, my my mum and dad did split up when I was five. Um which you know wouldn't necessarily expect after all the I guess the challenges they faced in having children in the first place but I can totally appreciate where my dad was in his life and where my mum was and it was the right decision mm-hmm. um, I'm quite grateful that I was raised by pretty much predominantly raised by my mum um she gave me every opportunity every kind of bit of love that I needed um there was nothing you know she tried to play two two parent sort of role in in my life um I was an only child, which is always easier, you know, and to split your time and all that. So, yeah, I was pretty much the centre of her life. She gave everything she could um, and she listened. We had lots of in-depth discussions as I got a bit older about um, Peru, about my adoption. Um, so it was nothing um, hidden, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you remember being told that you were adopted or did you always know? I have a memory of, I must have been about seven. And I know I was told when I was younger, because I remember being told about like Paddington Bear had come from Peru. And that was kind of like a, mm-hmm. a figure or a character that I could somewhat relate to as a kid. Um, but I remember being as young as seven, going to primary school and uh, telling all my my friends in primary school that I had brothers and sisters. And they were like, no, you don't. Because obviously they knew I was an only child and yeah. they'd been to my house and played. I was like, no, I do. But I have, I have brothers and sisters in Peru. And it just totally floored everybody in like my, my wow. social circle. But I knew that I had siblings. I knew I had uh, a family, a birth family in Peru. And I obviously felt compelled at seven to tell people that. Yeah. Um, Growing up then, no siblings and your adoptive parents never were able to have children? No. I think they were, they were older parents. I think they were 35, 36 um, when they adopted me. Um, they tried. My mum had had um, IVF and all sorts, and and it was mm-hmm. just wasn't um, meant to be. Um, yeah. But it she had that thing. She's just like got that nurturing, caring thing where she's like always like she always said like she was always a mother. She was always caring, but she just didn't have a child. Mm-hmm. So and everybody that meets us when we're together t- sort of gets that that we have that connection. Um, so she was almost like waiting for a child to share that love with. Yeah, I was lucky enough to have been that child. <laughs> so I don't want to assume that, but did you look like your adoptive parents at all? No, so that, that was the the interesting thing in, I guess, growing up. There was no other white mums and brown babies. I was a bit of a, 
enigma um, yeah. to to yeah. people in the town that I grew up in. The fact that I didn't speak Spanish, I came out with a broad northern accent, which in England is kind of, you know, when you speak English and that accent comes out, it doesn't look like my face. So people would come up to you and look at you and go, are you guys sort of together or what, what are you kind of thing? You get that feeling of people mm. are questioning. So we'd stand mm. quite close together. We'd try and make it obvious that we were family of some sort. And we, yeah, there were definitely times, probably in the 90s, <laughs> early 2000s, where it really floored people just seeing us out and about or even our own family members sometimes or friends sort of seeing how close we were, mm. almost closer than biologically related you know parents and children um because I was quite a sensible kid um I listened to my mum and I I didn't sort of do too many things that were naughty as a kid um (laughs) whereas she'd have her friends come over all my friends and they'd be like why is that why have they done this and my kids don't listen to me and I'm there like I listen to my (laughs) mum um (laughs) they couldn't quite understand why we had that connection and why I listened and why I just respected her and she respected me and we had gave each other the freedom. We didn't suffocate each other. Um, yeah. It wasn't, yeah, it was, it sounds idyllic, obviously there wasn't, I definitely did things that were telling to any parent, but um, it, I think people came around to the idea eventually that it didn't really matter what color your skin was. Yeah. Did your mom ever remarry while you were still in the house? No, no. I've had her full attention all my life pretty much. <laughs> wow. Lucky. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, definitely. Um, I've got two kids, so I'm starting to realize now what it's like having to share your time. Um, so I do, I, yeah, I know how lucky I was to have had that attention. So, how was that having your kids being adopted and seeing your own flesh and blood like that? That's where it all snowballed, really. Um, so, I'd, I'd obviously grown up hard in my childhood and not really questioned much about my adoption not defensive about it but when people questioned me about my color and my mom I felt like I defended it and showed a positive side to it and people just got on board with that um then I met my wife my wife is white we obviously wanted kids we kind of both knew we wanted kids and that was sort of down the road and and in the sort of preparation to that we ended up having to have um IVF ourselves and IUI so that desire to be a parent was sort of a long journey it wasn't it didn't just surprise us um so there was time to contemplate being a parent and then obviously that that journey kind of was the seed that started my thoughts about my own birth family and then my daughter arriving just really kind of just blew it out of the water (laughs) do you think being adopted affected how you parented your own children at all like were you overprotective or the whole open and honest policy kind of thing is definitely followed through Mm. because my daughter is she's four so she's very uh, doesn't miss a thing so we're obviously introducing to her that obviously her nanny is white and I am brown so we're being open and honest about it as much as I was granted and given that open honesty stuff so she understands the concepts it's like it's really not a big deal she's been into school and she said my daddy's what brown and my daddy's adopted and she knows what it means she just she's just quite proud to sort of express that so we have every hope and faith that just if we carry on being that way she'll grow up like I did with kind of no questions um Mm -hmm. until she's older and that's that's when you want to have those conversations you don't want them to be a child and right just almost not to be, be too afraid to ask questions. Right. Definitely. So how have you seen 
being adopted? How has that shaped you? Um, it's been a journey, been a real journey. Um, I think I'm only really coming into my own with it in the last sort of three or four years where I've become, I guess, truly proud about it. Um, mm. And I don't know whether that's, again, because of having my own children, that's kind of just spurred me on and the whole kind of finding your roots bit became more something more that I was passionate about. I've always been proud about being Peruvian and I think I've always been proud about what that con- the country meant maybe, but how I physically looked or... Um, how people viewed me physically um that kind of came a bit later um yeah it's been gradual and it's been a journey but I'm glad it's kind of everything feels like it's happened at the right time yeah doesn't feel like I've had like a moment where it's been so overwhelming that I've had almost like a a breakdown or a panic about it um it's just been gradual and bite size enough for me to kind of take away contemplate and and decide what I think about it. So you just said that you were proud to be Peruvian. Did you feel a connection to that culture? Did your mom nurture that at all? Or did you just kind of have this innate feeling of connection? No, it's always been there. Um, And I think that's maybe it made it a bit more normal. And maybe so I didn't pay that much attention to being proud and Peruvian, I suppose. It was you know, like uh, books on the shelf. She talked to me about Machu Picchu and Peru and, and Obviously, Paddington Bear, as I mentioned, we had other friends that were Peruvian. So it was quite normal. Um, it wasn't like throwing in my face. It kind of just felt like a day-to-day thing that I was Peruvian. But only until, I guess, going to Peru did it kind of then become more like, oh, there are people that look like me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it became a reality of actually what it is to be Peruvian. Yeah. Uh, rather than just seeing the pictures and knowing a bit about it. Right. Um, but that's what I mean by it being gradual, you know, to see the pictures and then actually be in a country of Peru and actually live in Peru was kind of like, a, okay, this is what Peruvians actually do day in, day out kind of thing. Yeah. So do you think that adoptees can heal from that primal separation from their family? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I I respect every decision that my birth mother me and I think it would be a real shame if I looked at my birth mother and had anything other than love and respect for her because she made a very very hard decision and I don't think it was one that she ever would have really wanted to have made but she had no choice yeah. she she can't read she can't write um you know and and I watching my own child come into this world I can totally appreciate that desire to want to be attached to your child in those first moments, not separated. So what she would have gone through, I have a huge amount of love and and sympathy for. And that's kind of, I guess, counterbalanced this idea of the other side of the coin where you Mm -hmm. get that trauma of, and all that, uh, what's the word? All the bad stuff around it and all those bad feelings that kind of counteracts that for me personally. I'd rather listen to the the other side than think about all the bad stuff. I don't yeah. find that helpful. And it's not what's helped my relationship with them. Yeah, everyone's got to start a relationship off on the right foot. And I was never going to go into that on the wrong foot. Um, I would never want to go yeah. out of my way to 
find somebody to tell them how bad I felt about them. Um, so it kind of just, yeah, if I felt that badly about it, I don't think I would have gone out of my way at all. But I think, yeah, if you go in with the right attitude. But it sounds like you kind of had that. Yeah. You had that compassion for your birth mother. It sounds like from ever since you can remember, even as a little, yeah, yeah. little guy, you always had that compassion. That's amazing. That's a testament to your adoptive mom, probably. <laughs> yeah, I think um, she was open. She was honest, and uh, she she laid it out exactly as it was. Um, I was yet to discover whether that was true or not. I guess coming full circle, discovering it was entirely true. The story I was told really solidified the story I was told as a child to what I discovered when I was a teenager about actually what it means to be Peruvian and see their culture and see their struggles they've had as a country and the people, the struggles they've had. So actually meeting my actual birth family and discovering what their particular struggles have been, that absolutely I have full um, empathy and all of that for them. And then learning obviously that what my mum had told me right in the beginning was absolutely true, just brought it full circle that, yeah, I've got no bad feelings at all. <laughs> I'm very lucky. You found your birth family when you were a teenager? Uh, no. So my mum always said she'd take me when I was 16 to Peru. That was always something like an expectation um, that I had. After my GCSEs, it was like, we'll go backpacking, we'll go to Peru. And we did it proper backpacking. Um, wow. So I always had that in my head. I knew that I was going to go, which was something to look forward to, something to kind of prepare myself for. I didn't, it wasn't sprung upon me. Um, yeah. We just saw my country. That was like my introduction to my country and it, it was my choice from there if I wanted to go and you know study there for a year if I wanted to go and learn Spanish there if I wanted to whatever that was my choice I didn't in the end want to do anything with it I was quite happy with just backpacking and I came back home and wanted to be with my friends um <laughs> then I met my wife so did you feel a connection did you feel a connection though yeah. to the country when you were there absolutely it was the first time I'd seen Peruvians that obviously they looked like me but they acted like Peruvians like the whole mannerisms and their just the way Peruvians are, they're, they're blasé and all that kind of stuff. It was a totally different shift of culture to England. That just being around that was like, this is what it is to be a be a Peruvian. Like there was yeah. just, just so much more in that culture that more than just what I look like. Did you look around wondering like if any of your relatives yeah. you, know, you were looking at anyone that you were biologically related to? Yeah, absolutely. I looked at lots of people and thought, I wonder if I look like them. But I I don't think I would have known them. Yeah. Um, or at least I didn't think I would have learned them, uh, known them if I'd seen them. But there was always that kind of thing of maybe I've just walked past them. Yeah. So you went home, went on with your life. And then what finally made you want to, to search for your biological family? So I, at 21, I took my wife to Peru. I wanted my wife to see my culture and to learn about my adoption, have that appreciation. She absolutely being on board with that. Um, she's been dead supportive and proud and kind of thinks it's really cool <laughs> um but she started the whole kind of you're not curious about your birth family and I was like no 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 because they made the decision I want to respect that I don't want to be this person that you know comes charging into their lives um they might not even know about me so there's kind of that respect there of like they might not even know about me so I'm, I'm, I'm gonna leave it I'm okay I'm happy I'm okay let's not rock the boat um we had our kids when I was 25 and that's when my daughter arrived. So it was only a few years, maybe four years after we'd been to Peru and 
you've done the whole student thing. Um, but it was just documentaries. There was things on Netflix. There was things. It was like that particular activation. Mm-hmm. I was suddenly watching things and tuning into things that were about reunions or even cooking shows about Peruvian culture. And it was starting, I think it was during the nine-month pregnancy, I think, that kind of just did it where it was just all, the seed was planted about, you know, the IVF and everything. Um, and it just kind of grew bigger and bigger. Um, and it was uh, COVID in 2020, during COVID, when everyone has time to think that I just decided, I think I need to know more. Um, the information I have right now is fine, but I, I want to know more. Um, I reached out to somebody who on, on YouTube who was an, um, an adoptee from Peru um, just to ask a bit more information about what it is to be an adoptee from Peru because that was what she talked about. Because in England, there's not many of us. Um, it's quite a unique thing or a unique group. I was keen to learn about more about what the what that group was. Um, and so we had a couple of Zoom calls. Uh, we dug into a little bit more about what would have happened in my process of adoption, what my papers said. And then she sort of said, do you want to go any further? Uh, are you happy just to know what these documents mean? And there was kind of no going back. My curiosity had kind of opened the door and I'd opened up Pandora's box sort of thing. Um, right. Uh, by that point, um, open and honest, I'd sat with my mum and explained to her that's what I'd been doing. And that was, I think that was what I wanted to do. We had a conversation and she said, absolutely, you do what you need to do. So mm. she she basically helped me, give me the tools to find them. Um, and yeah, I spent a lot of late nights trolling the most weird and wonderful websites of the world to, and translating to trying to find out um, wow. where they were. Because I had a picture. I had a picture of my birth mum and my mum together with me. Wow. So it was like, they exist. And I had their, yeah. I found their birth certificates. Um, Your original? my original and theirs um so I knew they existed wow. in the world and I found certain things like um health insurance or tax codes that led me to they registered six years ago or something so I knew that they existed but I just I couldn't get that link between me and them mm-hmm. and it became quite frustrating um probably the one time where I was quite like gosh I'm gonna actually have to just go to Peru <laughs> um because it was kind of, I was not going back at that point. I had to discover right. who they were, if they were alive. Um, and COVID was really badly hit. Um, sorry, Peru was really badly hit mm-hmm. by COVID. So it felt like time was a, a big issue. Um, yeah. I didn't want to have left it too late um, by that point. Right. So what happened? So, <laughs> yeah, so I'm just thinking. Uh, so, yeah, so, social media is a wonderful thing, yes. isn't it? Um I kind of felt like I'd gone the long way around. And if I just headed to social media, maybe it would have been a lot quicker. Oh, really? <laughs> um, it's not, it's nothing, I'm not that kind of person on social media that kind of adds random people. Um, I'm probably a bit of a ghost on social media, um, like Facebook. Um, but I found one or two people. If you know Spanish people or Latin people, they have like really long names. I found a couple that had like two of the names out of the four that you might need. Um, mm. And I just figured what's the worst that could happen just adam ask a question um i woke up the next morning and and the fellow that i messaged um said they knew who this woman was um how did i know this person oh, wow. so it was a bit elusive and then i said well 
um, I think that this woman might be my, my birth mother um, and I was adopting and live in England. Um, time difference, I waited all day. Oh, <laughs> They'd gone to bed by that point. <laughs> so I'm waiting all day thinking, have I just like scared somebody? Um, right. um, it was obviously they woke up the next morning to that message and um, they sent me a picture of me next to him um and it was uncanny how much we looked alike wow and he said yeah that, that, you know, that's my mum so I was like well okay where do we go from there so that was your brother was my brother yeah like it was like oh the jackpot God. in one first time um wow and the, there was a there was a lady on Facebook that I thought if this doesn't work out I'll message the lady um it turned out that she was actually my sister <laughs> um oh wow. so if I'd not got through to him I'd have tried this other lady and this lady I would have hopefully have found. So yeah, um, very, very lucky. I don't know how many times that um, must happen where you, you chat on Facebook and, right. or, and you go round and round yellow pages or whatever we call it in England, yellow pages where you go into a directory of thousands and thousands of names. Um, I didn't really have many choices. I had a handful of choices on Facebook that I could have messaged and neither of them could have been. Right. And I'd done the whole DNA thing, the ancestry thing, and that kind of came up with nothing. And I thought I would have been my best shot, you know, yeah. but um yeah, and my view is it was meant to be. <laughs> um Yeah. So did he go to your mom and tell her or what happened? The culture in Peru is they have uh, the eldest brother or the eldest male is kind of like that leader. Um he was the younger brother. So he immediately sort of passed me on to the eldest brother and said look we need to make a call here's his number um we'll, we'll, we'll call you um so time difference again it was like probably 10 o'clock at night <laughs> we had all waited all day <laughs> but it was within the like 24 hours of kind of just getting that message to actually meeting them so we set up like a video call and um, my friend who'd helped me with the documents and stuff who spoke fluent spanish jumps mm. on the call translated and I think she 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 does lots of reunions. <laughs> so she knew exactly what she was doing. I was in good hands. And, and yeah, I had a chat with him. I think he wanted to just check me out, you know, yeah. check that I wasn't going to, you know, because this was his family that he looks after. Um, did they know about you? The elder ones did. Um, the two younger ones didn't. You have older and younger siblings then? So I have four that are older than me. So the two of those four knew about me. The two of the younger ones would have been six and four, maybe. So they don't really mm. remember. Um, even though one of them is in that picture of me and my my mum and my birth mum. <laughs> um, oh wow! So they they obviously had to share that information. But as soon as my birth mum was asked that question about, there's a kid here who thinks he's, he's your your mum. Have you had another baby? Yeah. Um, oh, was God. kind of like totally honest about it. Um. And the other two siblings were like, yeah, no, I remember that baby. Or I remember my, oh, my wow. mum being pregnant. Um, so they obviously had that conversation where everybody knew, but they, they went in totally with their hearts and their arms wide open. Um, mm. He sort of checked, obviously, what my intentions were, I suppose, and I said how much I just wanted to express, you know, love for them and a connection with them um, and a relationship. And I'm not looking to do anything, you know, malicious or whatever yeah. um and so he, he kind of like had his phone because they had cameras on their phone um he kind of just turned his camera around and they were just all on a big line outside their house um oh. so i have 
I've gone from a um a mum, well, an only an only child and a mum to eighteen of them. Oh my gosh. So I have like nieces, nephews, all my siblings have partners as well. So they have kids. So um yeah, all of them is kind of like Wow. Everyone was introducing themselves and waving and it was very overwhelming. But I'd never heard a noise quite like it. As soon as I saw my birth mum, she just mm. my wife always says that noise haunts her yeah. because she just kind of wailed yeah. when she saw uh, my face. So she was there during that call? Yeah. So as soon as he kind of checked me out and he said, I'm going to walk you over to meet your family. Oh, wow. It was like he walked over from the road to the door kind of thing. And I opened the door and they were all there. And she, yeah, she just put her head in her hands and, and, and sobbed. Um, and as did I. Wasn't expecting that on that day that I woke up that morning. Right. Um, wow. But it was, yeah, life-changing. So none of them speak English, so you had to have a translator? Yeah, none of them speak English. Um, my birth mother doesn't uh, read or write. She's uh, an indigenous woman of Peru. Um, to message her, I do video messages for her. Um, I do go it through one of my nephews. So we, we maintain that connection that way. Yeah. Uh, my father, he, so they're all together. So my father and my brother um, stay together. Um, so they all live together in, like, I guess, a community on the same land. They've all built their own little houses next to each other. Oh, wow. Um, they're a very together family. Um, yeah. Very different to what we have in England. <laughs> Lots of our families are spread all around. Yeah. Since they are so close, you must have felt like that missing piece. Yeah. Yeah. If I was missing anything growing up, um, for nobody's fault, I, I was an only child. I was quite, I wouldn't say lonely, but I didn't have that kind of safety net of a sibling um or that kind of busy christmas rush that you kind of get in the movies um yeah to go from that obviously to being part of that kind of family i went from like every day it was like messages pinging on my whatsapp from one of my siblings wanting to know about my life um and and then obviously we went went and met them in person and that was just something else yeah so tell us about that so we waited about a year. So obviously it was during COVID. So they were on the red list for ages. So even mm-hmm. though it'd be all too easy to kind of say, right, I'll find my birth family. I want to hop on a plane and go and see them. It was a gift in disguise that I couldn't do that because it gave us the time to kind of yeah. build a relationship, have lots of video calls, have lots of messages, share music or photos or whatever. Um, we were having IVF at the time and a year later, November 2021, so I, I met them in October 2020 and it was November 2021 that we'd realized it hadn't worked out. Mm-hmm. And it was just like a perfect timing where we weren't on any kind of schedule. We could just go. Yeah. Um, I told my work, I said, I just, I need to go to Peru now. I'm not going to get another shot before Christmas. Um, so I gave them about two weeks notice. <laughs> um, <laughs> they, they decided, just go, just go. Um so I've got really supportive work colleagues. Then they, um, yeah, we just did all our flights and hotels and books in November 2021. Stayed there for two weeks. Because uh, it was COVID, obviously the travel was quite limited. So we literally went straight from uh, Lima to, it's called Jauja, where they live in the, in the mountains. Um, mm-hmm. I can internal flight straight there and then straight to our hotel. And we didn't, we didn't do anything. We didn't make travel. We'd spent two weeks solid just with them in their land. They weren't in school because of COVID, so I got to spend time with my nieces and nephews. My daughter, who'd been inside um, the house for 
the best part of the year. Um, was able to just run free in a field. Yeah. Uh, with all of her nieces and nephews, so she had experienced kind of that cousin sibling kind of relationship, and she thrived in that. Um, we just did dead simple things. You know, we played volleyball on the grass. We'd go for lunch. Uh, my birth mum would cook loads of big pots of food. So it sounds like it was pretty comfortable. Like there was, it was like going off grid and just being with each other. Like there was not, there's no distractions. There couldn't yeah. be. There was no work. But there was li- little bits of work they were doing. They live off the land. They grow crops. They have animals. So right, they, didn't, yeah. they don't do like a nine yeah. to five like we do. Um, my, my, my dad works six days a week as a chef, um, but my other siblings run taxis. So they were just they just took time off to be with me, which was really you know really nice. Um, so what did you find out about why they put you up for adoption? Did you find anything out additional? Uh, yeah, we had a little sort of translator come and I got to ask some more questions. Um, it was everything that my mum had said that she really obviously didn't want to. Um, it was like the worst. She'd almost blanked it from her memory because it was so traumatic for her that she'd almost kind of just disengaged with the idea that she had another child. Um, she sadly lost two of the children after me oh. um, that that died. Uh, one uh, was in a like a bike accident, and the other one was um, in in a school playground. Hit hit his head on a on a rock. Oh, wow. um, and so, when those incidents happened, she looked back and remembered me, and so I thought that she was mm-hmm. being punished for what she did, letting me go. Mm. Um, but that she just that had no choice. She had no support. Uh, my dad at the time would, wasn't there. Um, she had four kids to look after. And she's punished herself mm-hmm. ever since for it. Um, but she, yeah, she was happy that I, as long as I was happy kind of thing. Um, they always kept saying to me, like, tranquilo, tranquilo. It's calm. Be calm. Like, there's, everybody just needs to be calm. Don't need to, you know, um, yeah. not about digging up old stuff, but. If you are calm, you're happy, then I'm calm and I'm happy. Um, um, so there was kind of that kind of discussion where we talked about things in depth, but we didn't want to go too deep into certain things because it was, wasn't helpful to kind of ask her so deep questions about what she'd have gone through at that time because I didn't need to know, I don't know, what happened when she gave birth to me. I didn't need to know how many days she stayed in Lima or whatever. I mean, yes, they crossed my mind, but I didn't need to know that um, in- level of information. Um, I think I got out of it enough to know that I was told the right story and yeah. I had every sympathy for her and it didn't change my view. Um, there was nothing that they said that kind of made me think I disbelieved them or I didn't respect them or I didn't want to know them or I changed my mind. It was. It was. In, I got enough information out of that conversation to to, to sort of consolidate that I made the right yeah. decision. So when you met them and spent all that time with them, it seemed like it was pretty seamless. Like everything felt. I don't want to say normal, but felt right. There was no awkwardness or anything like that. Did you? Um, I think if there was any awkwardness, um, we're vegan, and and so they eat animals. They live off their land. That was really awkward. <laughs> presented with a, um, a a guinea pig fresh on your plate. Um, (laughs) yeah but no i think they they really embraced um my family could tell that for for what they had to offer as as people 
they gave me they offered everything that they could mm. I mean the best way they knew how to um like in England maybe we would try you know try and get the most expensive champagne or we'd try yeah. and go and get the best food. there was none of that it was just really authentic they kind of gave whatever they could yeah um, and yeah I mean as holidays go it, it was like it was everything I could have asked for um from them yeah it, it sounds really really unbelievable when I say that but you'd have to see all the pictures and you'd have to see all the videos and trust me we've got we documented everything um wow. and every time I look back on that I it feels like it didn't happen because it was almost too unreal yeah because I'm wait you are I, I get what you're saying you're kind of sort of waiting for something to go to not be true or to not be quite so real um well, don't get me wrong they're not perfect they they have their own struggles um you know, with work or in the family. And you did get a bit of gist of that with the dynamics of certain people. Um, mm-hmm. But they they cut out quite a, um, a large number of their family members on certain sides that were bad influences. Um, they, they expressed that certain people were maybe not kind and they were hurtful. Um, so I think they'd made a conscious decision at some point in their lives that they just wanted to be together themselves as a family and, and not have any distraction to that um to give their own kids yeah. a good chance um she's very much what i do as a parent i know right yeah so out of this meeting with your biological family a business was born <laughs> yes so tell us about that how did that come about um bizarre really bizarre um obviously i knew when i was going there that they didn't have much um i knew that they weren't like lever in a nice penthouse apartment um and we had sort of me and my wife had discussed like oh wouldn't it be nice to do something to to help them or so because with covid when they didn't work they just didn't get any money um Mm -hmm. and i really felt felt for them in that respect they never asked for money um but i just really felt for them that the the difficulties that they faced because i knew in this country if i'm ill i just my work paid for me to have a week off um yeah it's not that way in Peru at all. So we had talked about it, but we had, that was kind of quite a loose discussion. Um, when we got there, um, I wanted cushions for my own house. Um, I'd looked online at, on, on, at America, trying to get that material, to someone in England could make them. It was just really expensive. So mm-hmm. I said, like, if we did get to go to a market, I'd love to um, see if they sell cushions. Um, we never got to a market, and it was probably like, the third day before we'll be about to go home um and i'd kind of chalked it down to we don't need souvenirs the, the memories are great so we went to one of my, my brother's house and he was cooking um and it was just like a big cloth with something underneath it um and i just asked him what was under it and he took his cloth off and it was this ginormous sewing machine like and i don't mean like a little single one i mean like a proper big one um and i said who you know one's ever told me that any of you guys use this what is it and how you know what do you do and they they had like a little side business where they sewed up pants um or made little bits of clothing for people um and that's when it was like hang on if we get some material from the market can you make me a cushion um (laughs) and literally the next day um they presented me with something and i was like wow okay and I went home um, and leaving was oh, the hardest thing. Leaving was the hardest thing. Um, and I was going home on the flight and me and my wife were obviously talking about, wow, what a real thing that was. 
and we said, well, how do we keep this going? Um, so we, we, we said like, well, we could do something with that. We could do a business with this. We were talking and it took three months before we'd kind of talked ourselves into actually doing a business. Um, and we presented it to them and said, look, we want to do this because people in England, you know, they don't get to see these kind of products. We can really be creative with this. I work in design. Yeah. Um, we can get really creative with these products and do things that no one's ever seen before. It's not something you could get even in Peru. Um, and they were like, would people really want to see that? Like, cause they just sewed up pants. They were like, you know, comprehended yeah. the idea that you could make a basket or something. And so they, they were really on board with it. They had a lot of trust in me that they, you know, that it was worth doing. Mm-hmm. And it's also a way at which I can share my story. So I go to markets. That's how we started off in market, doing doing street markets. And people would come over and they'd ask, where is this stuff from? And I get to talk about my own country. I get to talk about my adoption. I get to talk about the love that me and my, my siblings or my family have. And you just sort of see people's faces go, oh, my goodness. Um, yeah. I didn't know. Yeah, that's what happened to me. You gave me the link and I went on there and I did the same I like, thing. I, didn't... I emailed you. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Yeah, exactly. It, but when you see that, you feel like, okay, I've just imparted something onto somebody. Like people have come away with a nice feeling. Um, yeah. And that's when I get to tell them that, that, that people either love their products or people love them as people and what they've done for me. And because they've taught me as much as I've, as much as it sounds like I've got a business and I sell that product, they, that what I get from them, what they teach me, mm-hmm. is equally as um, advantageous yeah. as, as 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 the products themselves, and what they'll teach my daughter. So, how did they learn how to make all those things? I mean, if they were just selling, or if they were just sewing pants, <laughs> how did they learn how to? And what's available? Like, what are you guys selling? So we do like I I do drawings. Um, so I would say whatever size it needs to be at the dimensions. And she's just fantastic. She, we've thrown all sorts of stuff at her. There's only one thing she's ever said. She, she's tried and she can't make it. Um, but we've thrown loads of stuff out and she's just gone off, made her own template and given it a go. Um, wow. So, But she learned from her, her mom. So it's like a family thing that's been learned and passed down. Um, and so she kind of, the reason why the cover was over the, over the sewing machine was kind of because she just thought, no one's really interested in what I'm doing. I'm not really mm. I'm not expressing what craft she has. Wow. And then when this p- project came along, it was like, well, actually, I've got something I can be creative with, something that I can have a go at um, and make something beautiful. <laughs> um, so, so she yeah. gets as much fun out of doing it, I think, because yeah. that's obviously what it. So, has that changed their life in any way? Are they getting like some extra income from that? Yeah, yeah. So. They have no kind of system. If you have no work or there's no shifts, that's it. So there's yeah. no kind of mm-hmm. backfall. Um, so this is something that I'd love it to be something that's a full-time job. I'd love it to be something that gets bigger where they have a really regular income. That's kind of our aim. Um, but for now, it's something where they've got that rainy day pot of money where, you know, if something bad happens, they've got something to go to. That's kind of where it's where it's gone so they had last year they wanted to build their own houses so they all lived in something they rented and they've been renting that for probably seven years so it was a big thing they've always wanted and aspired this is their goal in life to just have their own house and i say house it's like a single brick with a sheet on top um so very very simple um house but that 
something they can call their own. Yeah. They've moved on now to be able to actually do that. So they've built that um, and everything that they do from here on out will just get added to it. So they may get a window yeah. or they may get some flooring down or a carpet or something. Um, so yeah, it's something that's it's drip fed. Um, the more customers we get, obviously the more we can give. Um, we've done, in our first year, we did about three or four orders um, with them. And then this year we've managed to introduce my other brother into the business who is the he's the gaffer he's the eldest he's kind of his skills are in management and negotiating and coordinating these 18 family members um and he i said to him do you know any other craft people in your community that we can help and he said my best friend his his, his mom does uh, gourds so that's the carvings on the on the vegetables i said send me some pictures of what they do um he sent them and it was like yeah yeah and he said, you can, you can design anything on these things because they do it all by hand. And I mm. said, well, could you do some pride ones for me? Or could you do some ones with nursery rhymes on? And they said, just draw it and we'll do it. So mm. we've been drawing all sorts of wonderful <laughs> things like positive affirmations. Um, very cool. Humpty Dumpty. And just like my, my sister and the sister-in-law, they've just took it on the chin and gone, let's give it a go. Yeah. They've never really thought about that idea before. They think it's a bit weird, but they've given it a go. And in the end, they've gone, I like that. Right. So what's the vision of this business? Where do you want it to go? Um, it'd be lovely to have the brand and the story about adoption kind of hand in hand spread across the world um, where people can see from adoption can come mm -hmm. something really beautiful, an equal relationship. Um, and people look at our products and go, I remember that guy in that story. Yeah. Um, and I can dig deep about whatever situation is going on in their house, in their home, in their lives. I can look at that and go, you know what? It's either not that bad or it could be really wonderful. So let's just, you know, stop and think. Yeah. What's the name of your business? Uh, so we're called Peru Interiors. Um, we do home furnishings. So baskets, cushions, wall arts ornaments um maracas instruments we're about to do um yoga range <laughs> um so yoga cushions yoga bags um but my my sister-in-law just had her second baby so uh... so she's in uh, uh the phase over over christmas where she'll be uh, resting and recouping yeah. um yeah but she's kind of itching to get back into it and we're saying no just take your time <laughs> there's going to be plenty right. of things in the new year that are going to be coming and you can you can get stuck in um, right and so where who can get this stuff right now because i know you said you wanted to expand into etsy um mm -hmm. coming up soon so what's going on now and then where do you see that going so we have our own website um uh, which is perineinteriors.co.uk um which has like a shop to it and um, obviously uk we're kind of english based or great britain um we have got an Etsy shop and on that Etsy shop, we're just looking now into making it mm -hmm. European and obviously then worldwide available. Um, so yeah, watch your space that we get many requests from people in Europe um, yeah. interested and we have to sort of say we're not quite there yet. Um, it's mainly, it's mainly to do with um, all the legalities around it. So we're trying to sort right. of, because I was thinking, you know world market and all these other stores that might you know be interested in that kind of stuff um yeah i think they would but 
Yeah. It could get big. It could get huge. Yeah, we have some big department stores in England that it'd be fantastic to get them into. Um, but they're bright, they're colourful, but maybe not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very bohemian. So yeah, it's yeah. finding our finding people who appreciate that. Um when we do we right. do market stalls and we do um like pop-up shops at the moment, we've got our stuff in a pop-up shop in a couple of malls over Christmas. So I don't actually have to oh, be nice. there. They they man it. Yeah, uh, which is ideal with two kids. I don't want to take them to the market at Christmas time. It's busy. No. Um, yeah. So yeah, we want to branch out from doing markets and doing public shops, but actually be in the retail industry. Um, essentially, where my family can then get a regular income from that, uh, rather than me right. doing it ad hoc whenever we do a market or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. That's probably the most successful reunion story that I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> It's, that's awesome wasn't really the plan i have to be honest i'm not a business person i yeah. say it all the time i've been told not to say that because you are you obviously have a business but yeah that's not my background yeah i am now yeah <laughs> I, like i said i do design um I, I i do a nine to five job i work for, you know i work for somebody else it's not me um and if any yeah. my, a lot of my colleagues probably think um they do think i'm a bit mental <laughs> for, for, for <laughs> engaging in actually having a business because it's a lot of hard work but it is um just from from the heart it's from passion and it keeps us talking we talk all the time because we're, we're not talking about business or our families and yeah we've got mm-hmm. stuff to talk about and also it's a motivation to go back so we want to go back to peru next year um and see them and meet my new yeah. meet my new nephew um meet the other maker that we're working with um so there's a lot of good stuff to come with with the business yeah. and actually been able to get back out there because it's not cheap it's expensive (laughs) yeah yeah I know (laughs) so it just kind of sounds like that this was meant to be I mean like the way it just all kind of fell together you know and then just how the business grew out of that it's kind of like it was all in the plan all along even though you didn't see it it sounds like it was yeah just have to kind of go with the calling that's there um Mm -hmm. I, I we are very busy people um we don't I don't remember what time what what we did when it was just me and my wife like <laughs> I, know, right? I really don't remember um and we we're saying to ourselves what did how do we, people will say yeah. like how do you even do it like how do you how do you work full-time how do you run your family how do you do the business yeah yeah um how do you show up for all that right um but it was meant to be and and if I if I carry on doing it I get such pleasure out of doing it it's fulfilling I get something from it what do you think helped you I mean, I keep just going back and thinking about your adoptive mom. It had to be her because I'm like, you just kind of didn't really have a lot of hangups with the, you know, as being an adoptee, it kind of just all evolved and you were just so accepting of the whole thing. Seems like the whole time. Did you have anything that really hung you up or kind of threw you a curveball? When I look at her face, honestly, when I, I see her, she's such an innocent humble woman of the mountains like there's really nothing uh, complicated really mm-hmm. to her she yeah she comes at me with big open arms and just wants to love me when someone just wants to love me and doesn't want anything else but just to have my love like my, my wife said that when we were having meals or when I was with my siblings she would she'd actually spot my, my birth mom sort of just staring mm. blankly at me with my siblings mm. and and she said she'd captured lots. There was moments when we were in the field where just those moments, so having an outsider's view, I suppose, on what was actually happening 
kind of validated validated was real it wasn't like we weren't pretending that we loved each other and we weren't pretending to be a happy family yeah there was those moments where you you spot it that you don't even know you're in it um mm -hmm. now she really just a really humble loving woman um and I'm really honored that she's she is my my birth mom and that she's still alive she's still here she's still very much uh part of the family she's the matriarch of the family um when it comes to her and my dad yeah I have a huge amount of respect for yeah her, her life like me aside and losing her other two kids she's had a really um mm. Really difficult life. You can see where um, in her face, the Peruvian women don't often smile, but when she's with me, there's pictures of when she's with me, and she's really truly smiling. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it's very evident to see that she's just got love to give. She's just got she's got nothing, nothing there that she wants to harm me with, and I don't have anything there that I want to go in with. Um, right. Yeah. And and there are things when I look back, I think it all happened at the right time. Like if I wouldn't, I wouldn't think I would have been ready or comfortable finding them any sooner than, and 29 is maybe not, it's not old, but it's not young. Um, yeah. And I, I think it wouldn't have been as, as it was if it had happened when I was 17 or, or even when I was 20 mm -hmm. or 21, um, that wouldn't have been, yeah. I think I'd have felt quite uncomfortable um, and not ready for it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a crazy story. Um, but in closing, I was asked the same question. What would you like struggling adoptees to know? I really, well, I, I think it's parents. I'd love people who are parents of adoptees to know that if you have that open and honest relationship and you give that love and sincerity and, and respect of that adoptee's um, country, culture, whatever it may be, from born from that could be something really spectacular and between that relationship between a parent and child could be something really beautiful um in the long term not just in that you know raising that child but in the long term um and for adoptees i guess that are struggling that maybe haven't had that experience that i've had just carry um love and and respect for yourself and if there, are, if there are people out there, I guess, that um, have trauma. I am obviously deeply saddened to hear that people haven't had, as I've heard some stories where it hasn't been as idyllic. But yeah. they, um, you as a person, your story, you can tell yourself your own story. Tell yourself that you are good enough. You're loved by whoever it may be. It doesn't have to be your birth family that love you. If I hadn't found my birth family, my... Right. My, my friends, you know, there were people in my life, my aunties, my uncles that loved me and they were just good enough for me. You don't need, yeah. just focus on the people that love you and, and everybody else doesn't matter. Yeah, that positive mindset is a big deal. And just like you said, I was looking at the glass half full type of attitude is big too. So Thank you for sharing your story because it's so nice to hear a positive reunion story and, and even just going farther than that with this business and everything. And I, I really, really hope that it does expand because there's some things on there. I want, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I want to buy some well, stuff. Well, now I know America's uh, interested. I'll be, I'll be 
doing my my work of doing my grafting to how we can get and branch out to the world yeah because like i said it's it's the message as well it's not just the products it's the message definitely oh yeah it's the whole package yeah. it's just like like i said i had to email you back after i went on your website and read the story i was just like what <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> even, even as adoptees like when i look at that when i look at our own products um and, and it brings a smile to my face because obviously my own story but it brings a smile about like I'm good enough. I am. It, it was. It becomes a personal thing. Like I am good enough, and I feel good about this. I feel good about my country. I feel it's that reminder of whatever it is. I feel good about. It's that kind of key point that takes me straight yeah. back to all those good feelings that I might not be able to describe, but it just all feels nice. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming on and sharing your really special story today, Carlos. No, thank you so much for having me. It's been nice to share. It is so great to hear a positive reunion story. And how more positive can you be than having Carlos's story? I mean, it was so meant to be and how he blessed his biological family's life by helping them start a business. And I encourage you to go on the website and look at some of the beautiful items that are for sale and if you can buy them if you're lucky enough to be in an area that you can buy them please support carlos and his family and carlos was kind enough to send me a picture of him with his biological mother and then another picture of him with his adoptive mother and just the look on all of their faces how happy they are to have each other in their lives it's just something that we don't see in adoptee land very often, and I just love this story. I wish I could clone Carlos's positivity and just the outlook that he has on life and on adoption. He's just so caring, kind, and wise in his thinking about everything that's happened to him. And I see a great future for this business that he and his family have started. In closing today, November is coming up, which is Adoptee Awareness Month. And I will be doing some short videos this month that you can watch. I will also be doing some specials on my SMGI sessions, and I will tell you more about that next week. As always, take what you need and leave what you don't. And always remember, to mind your own karma. I'll see you next time.